Welcome to AI Arthritis Voices 360, the podcast solving today's most pressing issues in the AI arthritis community. We invite you all to the table, where together we face the daily challenges of autoimmune and autoinflammatory arthritis. Every Sunday, join our fellow patient co-hosts as they lead discussions in the patient community, as well as consult with stakeholders worldwide to solve the problems that matter most. Whether you are a loved one, a professional working in the field, or a person diagnosed with an AI arthritis disease, this podcast is for you. So pull up a chair and take a seat at the table. and welcome to AI Arthritis Voices 360. This is the official talk show for the International Foundation for Autoimmune and Autoinflammatory Arthritis, or AI Arthritis for short. My name is Tiffany. I am the CEO of the organization, but I am also a person living with AI arthritis diseases. So I am going to be joined today by a guest co-host. Hi, Patrice. Hi, Tiffany. (laughs) Patrice, tell everyone a little about yourself. So originally, nine years ago, I was diagnosed with RA, but within the last year or so, it seems I have an undifferentiated diagnosis. I live in Northern California. I am fairly new to AR arthritis, but I do volunteer for other nonprofits as well. Awesome. And if you have tuned in to any of our Go With Us to ULAR, which by the way, depending on when you're listening to this, is still going on through September 1st, you can still sign up to go with us. So if you go to our website at AIarthritis.org, right on the homepage, you'll see a link to sign up and you still have time to join us in a private group. But if you followed any of those, you've already met Patrice because she's she's been going with us. So while she's not a repetitive co-host on the show, you might be fooled because she's been on the show a few times. I'm everywhere. So um, today we're going to cover a topic that builds on something very near and dear to our hearts at the organization, and that's precision medicine. So there have been several episodes where we have referenced that, and and precision medicine essentially a little different than personalized medicine. That involves a lot of additional individualized facets, such as if you like needles, if you don't like needles. That is, so it's it's a more of a shared decision-making with, with your doctor based on personal needs. Whereas precision medicine, that involves more precise blood work, tissues, plasma. We're talking about our body's reaction and how our disease based on those biomarkers could progress, how treatments could be developed to address those biomarkers and in turn create better treatments for us. And something that we've been really excited about, prevention. What? Yes. Prevention. Yes. (laughs) So so that's something that that we're going to talk about today are, are biomarkers and how these are relevant to us. And so when we're talking about biomarkers, just to preface, these are really defined as indicators in our blood. And like I said, the plasma or, or tissues and their, their properties are molecules that can be detected and measured. So in keeping that in mind, 
We have been, as we said, attending ULAR, and we attend a lot of research conferences. So um, whether or not that is the one we were just at, other ones like the ACR, American College of Rheumatology, we are continuously trying to stay abreast on the newest research. And one of the sessions that we had attended, and I attended, uh, Patrice was with me, was on biomarkers and how they're using them specifically in rheumatoid arthritis, but this is relevant. So if you don't have rheumatoid arthritis, you say, well, I'm getting, I'm not, I don't have to listen today. Nope. <laughs> it is relevant. It is relevant to, to all diseases. But in this particular study, they've been looking at rheumatoid arthritis and specifically subcategories of RA. I thought that this was really relevant because it's conversations I know we've seen in the community, Patrice, and, and talked amongst ourselves is this whole idea of seropositive RA and seronegative RA. Yes. And, and what's your history with, with those terms? I believe, although it's not in my chart, I believe I'm positive because when at first onset, when the first set of blood work came back, everything was off the charts. It has since leveled out, but there's still a couple of the uh, blood work tests that are showing that they flagged. I'm assuming I'm still zero positive. So when we're saying zero positive versus zero negative, what we're really saying is your blood work having positive tests or negative tests. <laughs> so if you've listened to the show before, you know that I have often said that I am seronegative everything. <laughs> I never test positive for, for, for inflammation markers, for really anything. And it's really made my particular disease journey challenging. So I'm grateful to have found a wonderful treatment team of, of doctors who really listen and believe me. I think that's really important when you're seronegative. So this in particular talked about rheumatoid arthritis and followed seropositive positive patients. And when we say seropositive, that means that there were very specific markers in their blood. And one is called anti-citrullinated protein antibody. We're going to just say ACPA. <laughs> ACPA. So ACPA. And then also something that I don't think is, is unfamiliar to people who, who live with whether it's rheumatoid arthritis or some others, a blood test that detects rheumatoid factor being positive or negative. Have you been, do you remember, Patrice, if you have tested positive or negative for rheumatoid factor? I tested positive. I'm still showing positive, but not, um, I don't want to say danger zone. Not, it, it hasn't been flagged, but yes, it is positive. Okay. Has it, do you know if it's ever fluctuated? Yes, it goes up and down, up and down, up and down. The last couple of years, it seems to have leveled out. Maybe, you know, every quarter or so when I get tested, it, it, it'll rise a little bit. And then the next one, it might go down a little bit, but nothing off the charts anymore. Hmm. Well, they always say I, do, I am not positive for rheumatoid factor. And I know over the years, as research has progressed, it used to be a diagnostic criteria, I believe, for rheumatoid arthritis. And because it's not present in all patients and healthy people can also be positive for the rheumatoid factor. And it doesn't mean they have rheumatoid arthritis. So it's, it's one that's not as important when we're talking about the biomarkers we're talking about today. The ACPA really seems to be 
the one that when you're seropositive will predict how severe your RA may become. And I think we saw some, some studies that we'll talk about here in a minute with that. So one of the reasons that we really thought, let's talk about this today, was the predictive part. I mean, yes, it is important to understand the biomarkers as far as if your disease may be more aggressive, and we will circle back to that. But the predictive part, didn't you find that fascinating? Yes. And wouldn't that be wonderful moving forward in the science community or the research community if they could actually do that? Mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely. There were some studies that they talked about in particular with following patients for for 10 years and they were able to track back up I think they said it was up to 10 years yeah. that and, and find these biomarkers in their blood that were predictive to developing full-on RA so we will look more into those studies because it's something I think would be interesting to our community but let's backtrack just a hair and talk about the biology of autoimmune disease and why these biomarkers are important. And again, we are not physicians. We are not researchers. This is our interpretation as layman persons, but we are experts in living with these diseases. And we do believe that understanding this knowledge of how our body works and why this is relevant to our disease journey is important. And we hope that by learning these, in addition to disseminating the research and the knowledge that we're learning when we attend these types of conferences, we would also like to then turn this information into some educational materials for our listeners so that you can educate your families, you can possibly help prevent <laughs> if there's a genetic predisposition in your family and also communications with your doctor. So so we'll end today talking a little bit more about how we'll do that. But here, so Patrice has so generously let me do this explanation. <laughs> He's a lot more well-versed than I am. <laughs> so the basics here is that we all have you know, our genes, our genetics, right? You might say, oh, I'm blessed with these genetics and maybe not so much with this. So we're familiar with that term genetics. And, and we're thinking of our genes in this case. And we do know that autoimmunity in general can run in families. Now, that doesn't mean because somebody has RA that the other person might have RA. It could be auto, there's a, a hundred autoimmune diseases. <laughs> so it's just that immune having, because there has to be a genetic plus environmental trigger that's causing autoimmune. And you've got two sides of the immune system. So the autoinflammatory side, we cover both diseases. They're both of the immune system. The difference is autoinflammatory is innate. It does not require an environmental trigger. So it could be uh, caused by a genetic mutation, some type of infection bacterial. It's of unknown origin. So you don't have these types of studies when you're talking about the autoinflammatory side. And they also, at times, might present younger because of the innate origin. Now, with the autoimmune side, that is acquired. So something's happening inside your body that triggers it. And in this case, when we're talking about the biomarkers and the genetics of rheumatoid arthritis, we have a gene family 
I'm not going to go into the specifics on what each one of them is called because you're not going to remember anyway, but HLA. So I'm just going to say HLA is a family and there's lots of different variations. And there's one in particular that stands out when it's t- we're talking about rheumatoid arthritis. And I'm familiar with HLA because I live with axial spondyloarthritis. I remember one of the reasons I did not get diagnosed with ankylosing spondylitis originally was because I was HLA B27 negative. And that's the specific additional component of that HLA family that I didn't have. Now, you don't need to be um, positive for that, but it is a strong indicator and also a strong indicator of radiographic damage. So people who have radiographic axial spondyloarthritis, aka ankylosing spondylitis, will have radiographic damage. People like myself non-radiographic, and I may say negative blood work. (laughs) So I don't have the gene. I don't, I I would, I'm falling on, I don't have radiographic damage. So it's not that I feel any lesser is what studies show. I mean, I don't know, we can't be in each other's bodies, but from, from communication and, and research, it seems the symptoms are similar. The difference is in the radiographic damage. Now, That's important to compare because what we're talking about in rheumatoid arthritis, we also have this HLA family. This gene, when tied, I'm trying to make this as as simplified as possible. If you picture a big chain, so you've got your genes that are tied to this chain of amino acids, and this creates what they called the shared epitope. And it is unique in understanding the progression of RA. So on this amino acid chain becomes a binding group. And it then introduces itself to the immune system. When there is one shared epitope component, a person is up to five times higher to develop seronegative rheumatoid arthritis or rheumatoid arthritis with a positive lab work. So that shows you that a genetic component makes you more susceptible. So don't let anybody tell you that there's no genetics to rheumatoid arthritis and that if you just ate better, you'd be fine. (laughs) Essentially, because there is, now there, there is possibly you could, you could avoid it. We'll talk about that here in a minute, but just know there is a genetic component. Now, even more interesting, if you have two of the shared epitope components, then you increase up to 12% to develop seronegative RA. So that's really important. It's a huge jump. Just with that second, with that second um, component on there. And yeah, more than, more than double. Yes. And so that was pretty fascinating, we thought. And what ends up happening then, so now we've got, we've got our autoimmune, we have our genetics. So we said autoimmune is genetic plus environmental. Now, I'm going to turn it over to you, Patrice, <laughs> because I did, all of, I did all of the hard explanation. <laughs> there, was, there was an environmental component then, then they added. Why don't you, you talk a little bit about the environmental? They discussed that they, they more focused on smoking of all the environmental things that we can be exposed to. And that the smoking also increased your factors for possibly having one of these diseases. 
And I believe one of the slides showed if you smoked and if you didn't smoke. And if you didn't smoke, you may have a let, I'm not, don't quote me. I mean, it may be a lesser factor of getting one of these diseases, but if you smoked, the, the risk increases a lot. A lot, 30%. Yes. If, yes. if you had, if, and, and that, that was with having a seropositive. So you have the genetics, okay? So you have the shared epitope. Then you also combine that with having ACPA positive, rheumatoid factor positive. And when you added that on and smoked, it increased. And then when you had more genetic, so the more genetic, just like what you had that increase of just getting it in general, but the more genetic component you had, and then you add the smoking to it, it went up to a 30% increase. Right. Yes. And, And it's, it's, it's really fascinating because I remember being at a conference quite a few years ago now, but it was the first time I had heard about them talking about lung bacteria. I always hear gut. Yes. <laughs> I've been hearing, you know. The, the mycelium or something like that. Yes. And and so they the researchers at the time and and I'm about to backtrack here for a second. It's something we we've, we've talked about many times Patrice is it's just how much research has progressed and how now that we're a decade into following these conferences and attending these sessions as as people living with the diseases, we can s- actually see it all coming together and unraveling because this is something I heard six, seven years ago. And I, the first time I heard, and now here we are, how many times did we see at the ACR (laughs) smoking? Yes. And that was a big portion of what we watched on the ULAR sessions too. They in many, many of the sessions that we viewed. Yeah. They're really finding that lung bacteria and I mean, smoking is, is a large component of that is an enormous trigger. So um, another reason, I guess, to stop smoking if, if, if you're smoking. The other thing when it comes to understanding if you have the genetic plus having the positive lab work, and I should say they said 88%, was that? Yes. 88% of RA patients are seropositive. I'm going to say, we talked about this yesterday. That kind of surprised me. Yeah. I thought when we watched it the other day, I believe that's what it was. And the reason it surprised me was because I have heard so many people all over the world talk about, oh, I, I they'll, they, they call their RA seronegative. And, and that's funny in itself because I was telling you how I, I did a panel a couple of months ago with some really wonderful rheumatologists. I was the only patient on the panel and they were using an example of differentiating diseases. And I was saying how it's important to patients to have a label and to un- fully understand what you have. And they used rheumatoid arthritis as an example. And they said, well, we, meaning doctors, well, we don't differentiate rheumatoid arthritis. We don't say seronegative or seropositive rheumatoid arthritis. We just say rheumatoid arthritis. And I said, huh, now, I don't think patients say seropositive rheumatoid arthritis, but they sure do say seronegative. <laughs> I hear it all the time. Yes. So that in itself, it makes me wonder how accurate that number is. That just seemed really high to me. I, I, I don't know. That's just from us talking to patients from around the world. So I, I would be interested in exploring that number a little bit more. But the point of that was 
and I'm going to turn it back over to you, Patrice, because I, I'm talking so much and I know that you <laughs> have a lot to say on this as well. It also showed us that not only could having the HLA component and the, the shared epitope increase our likelihood of developing RA, including the, the ACPA and not as much the rheumatoid factor. The ACPA was was much more predictive. But the progression of the disease, worse, was seropositive. Why don't you you start a little conversation about that? Well, okay, so I'm only nine years into dealing with this as opposed to many other people that we know that have spent decades dealing with this. I don't know if being seropositive has rapidly progressed or even minutely progressed my disease. I mean, I have do have, you know, my fingers are kind of curving, but that's, so I'm not sure if, if I am maybe in, I don't want to say a remission, but maybe it's just not progressing as fast as it could in other patients. Maybe that's common. Maybe it's not, but from what little that I know, it is pretty common that a lot of people do have rapid progression over years, you know, the damage. People have had many, many 13, 14, 15 surgeries to correct the damage. I haven't had any surgeries to correct the damage other than the two knee surgeries I had, but that was from an accident. Mm-hmm. And that could be a whole other podcast. But uh, <laughs> anyway, Um, so I, you know, when I do go in and see my rheumatologist and of course they, you know, poke and prod and they said, oh yeah, you look good. And it's like, okay, so does that mean that uh, I am just maybe leveling out? Maybe it's not progressing fast or I guess I should be very thankful that it's not. Right. And, and yeah, the, the research was showing that the progression specifically of radiographic damage or erosion as a result of rheumatoid arthritis was extremely more prominent if you were seropositive. And that goes back to what I was saying in the beginning about the axial spondyloarthritis as well. So now you have these two sort of subgroups same as rheumatoid arthritis, the subgroup seronegative, seropositive, that axial spondylitis, you have non-radiographic and you have radiographic. And the HLA B27 gene that is more associated with people who are radiographic positive, that in itself says that the genetic component that is stronger in a patient could result in more erosive damage. So it it makes sense. It's two different diseases, but the same philosophy (laughs) of thinking. So I think that the takeaway with that is, is, is people living with these diseases will really, well, two things. The first is that understanding what seropositive means, seronegative, and as a person living with the diseases, being able to be tested for rheumatoid factor and ACPA and especially ACPA, and paying attention to those, I think is something that I wasn't told. And maybe it's because I'm seronegative. I don't know. But I, I, I would be curious, do patients, I think that's a good question to ask. I mean, do, do, if you are ACPA positive, has your rheumatologist 
talk to you about that. Mine never did. And and um and how that could affect your treatment plans, how that could affect the progression of your disease. Yes. Um, I think that it's that's a conversation that that needs to start happening. But I think being educated on what that means, if you do get, you know, some blood work back or, or you know, get tested for that and you see it, I, I think it's important for you to, to recognize. I also think that now that we have the opportunity to test for biomarkers and in this HLA gene series and finding out, wow, well, if I have that and I have this chain of amino acids and I have these, that means something. Yes. Uh, and I, you know, and the predictive factor, knowing that you have this and then being able to tell family members, it doesn't mean you will get an autoimmune disease, but you should test because if you are a smoker or you do have a really high inflammatory diet and have, you know, gut health, or there's lots of different triggers that will stress that there we'll go off on a tangent on that one here in a second. Cause I forgot we were going to, we were going to mention that. Um, then you should know that you have a red flag that you are flagged to possibly develop an autoimmune disease. That's important too. So I think that as patients, and I think as an organization, we should definitely create some educational materials around this in addition to this this episode, because um, we want to make sure that patients can talk to their rheumatologists about this and also share it with their families. Yes. I think, well, I should tell my nieces to, you know, because I mean, why should, why not? But the stress thing. So we've talked about lung. So we've got autoimmune, again, genetic plus environmental. So we've got these genetic biomarkers that are telling us we are susceptible to developing certain diseases. And then you add an environmental, a known environmental influence to trigger. Another known is severe stress. It's not just, oh, I had a bad day. Boom, you have RA. (laughs) That's not it. Or or any of the other diseases. Um, Severe stress. So we talked about our onset a little bit. Why don't you talk about your experience of onset of autoimmune disease? Seven years prior to onset, my mother died. I barely had time to grieve for her and my father died Mm. in a two year span. So I spent another two, two and a half years settling their estate, which if anybody has ever done that is just, it's not an easy thing to do. And finally got through with all that. And then a family member, even though I was executor of my parents' estate, decided to sue me because they thought they were entitled to something in that estate. And that was another two and a half years of being dragged in and out of court, uh, you know, talking with an attorney, doing mediation, conflict resolution, you know, just trying to get this settled because it really was, from my viewpoint, a frivolous lawsuit. But nonetheless, they happen. And when you're not very well versed in the law, all kinds of things go through your head. You know, am I going to go to jail? Did I do something wrong? Maybe it was, you know, if it was, if I did do something wrong, was it accidental? I didn't mean to It just, who knows how to settle an estate. And so you're talking grief, paperwork, dealing with attorneys. That's almost, that was almost seven years day in and day out. It was nonstop. 
And then finally, after, you know, when I could breathe a sigh of relief, I woke up one morning and that was the onset. Mm -hmm. You know, people have asked me uh, often, you know, how do you think this happened? Because, you know, my, my, well, I still believe 100% my mom has different diseases. Now she has not been diagnosed and, and it still bugs me that somebody said within this year, um, well, you don't have rheumatoid arthritis because you it's your your blood works fine. <laughs> it's just I can't just don't even get me started, please. So yeah, I gotta have her uh, mom's gonna have to be a co-host on the show because I mentioned this must be the tenth time I've mentioned to her in episodes. But people will say, Well, who has it in your family? You know, if there if there's a genetic component. And I do believe my mom well, my mom has autoimmune regardless. She has hypothyroidism, which is it was is it's not an arthritis, but it's an autoimmune disease. And then there are different people on, on that side of the family who have different autoimmune, like a cousin with celiacs. And again, it's not arthritis, but that's still autoimmune. But nothing, you know, direct. And I was, whew, I was really in good shape. Like when I was playing volleyball on the beach, I was extremely muscular. Oh, I miss that. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. Oh, I look good. And uh, I, I ate well. I, I didn't eat a lot of fast food. I ate a lot of, you know, vegetables and fish and what. So it just didn't seem right. So I started trying to trying to piece it together. There were a few components. Stress was one. I had been in a relationship. I was, we were living together. It was his apartment originally. So when we broke up, I had to go on my own, but I had already basically sold all my furniture. It was one of those situations, right? I also had just lost a job. The company had some issues. They were relocating a couple hours away and basically my job went away. Then here I am, no job. How am I? I can't get an apartment anyway because I don't have income to show. And I'm going through a breakup. So that happened. And then without having anywhere to live, thank goodness for my friend Letitia Hala. So she let me basically live on a couch in her second bedroom for months. I mean, I had I had nowhere to live. That was a really hard, really down and out feeling beaten up you know, from all, from all ends, successful and in a relationship to feeling like, you know, wow, <laughs> from zero to, you know, or a hundred to zero. And then I took a job back teaching because I knew I could, I, that's something I could go back, but I was in the same classroom. So they gave me, they gave me my own and I would be there like Monday through Thursday. One day I, I did three shifts. So you would have an eight to 12 a one to five and a six to 10. And so I literally lived in that room, <laughs> you know, and I would, and it started noticing that every Thursday afterward, I was, I just couldn't, I was so tired. I was so fatigued. I would try to meet friends out and I just could barely keep my eyes open. And that's when all of the, you know, but again, it was at that same time as the stress as well. Now, after finally having onset and moving on to a different job, a former student notified me that they were in that same classroom a couple months after I left and someone came in and pulled out the radiator and there was black mold in there oh, no. and everybody had to evacuate and then they had to like shut down some of the classrooms and redo it so I was breathing that in for lord knows how long <laughs> 
but uh, you know, so you want it, it, it probably a little bit of a combination of everything. But the point here is you've got that environmental and I, I would have liked to know a little bit more of my genetic and biomarker predisposition. And I did one of those 23 and me or whatever, you know, a long time ago. And I, I have to, have to look at, I have no idea where the, where, where they are again. Maybe I just do it again, but I am very curious now to find this out. And I think it's a wonderful time for the rheumatology community. Well, any community, cause it's not just specific to rheumatology with biomarkers, but with so many issues with diagnostics and young onset and, and people not being believed, especially with the arthritic component and to be able to have something measurable. Yes. And even a predictor to say, Hey, it's possible. Make sure you you eat well, make sure you don't smoke. Like all of those things can contribute. Now you can't help extreme stress. And another thing, it's not just mental stress, physical stress too. You'll hear very often that, that women after childbirth will have onset that I've heard that many times. Or, or people in an accident, you know, something they were in the hospital getting surgery for something else and then it triggered, it, it triggered it. Yeah. So, so it's physical stress can, can do that too. And again, you can't always avoid that, but it's good to know. It's good to know that there's a predictor. The other thing that I wanted to mention with the ser- being seropositive and the outcomes was a higher chance for comorbidities with the organs. Yes. That stood out to me as well. There's been a, a lot coming out on cardiovascular research. And one of the things I know that we saw, Patrice, with even just speaking of RA, the treatment criteria for that and psoriatic arthritis both came out and it was multi-system. Yes. They said it's no longer like I know patients have freaked out for a long time saying, oh, I hate the word arthritis because People only look at that and it's going to stunt research. Well, we're here to tell you it's not stunting research. Even in the treatment po- protocols, it now calls it a systemic complex uh, disease. And it's they know it's not just the joints. So you can take that out of your head if you're worried about that. That's not a, that is not an issue. And, it, and they talked a lot. There's a lot more on cardiovascular, again, not just in RA. There were others as well that we saw, but... That's another reason to know what your what your blood markers are. Yes. Or yes. for that. And the other thing that we don't know that we talked about was how does somebody who has history of cardiovascular disease in their family? I know because both my parents died of cardiovascular disease. So I always thought that's probably what's going to be in my future. But yet, I, at least as far as I know, my heart's pretty healthy. So, you know, arthritis never, ever, ever entered my mind. I mean, maybe there was a family history, but of course you have to go way back. You know, my parents were born in the early 1900s. So, you know, you didn't go to the doctor every time you felt a twinge. There there were no medical plans attached to your work. You couldn't (laughs) afford to go, you know, my joint hurts. You know, they just, you couldn't afford to go to a doctor. Right. Um, And so... Who knows? Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. And, you know, my father got a little bit older. He kept saying his hip hurt. But, you know, when you're 80 years old. Well, yeah. And, and it definitely could be osteo if your yeah. hip hurts. But but that it was a question that came up. And, and a shout out to Becky 
Because Becky brought that up. We were, right. we were watching an episode with Becky. She's not a volunteer. She's a community member who wanted to have a seat at the table. And we said, come on over and have a voice. And um, and she brought that up as well. And I thought it was a really valid, good point is, okay, there's risk factors involved in organs. But what happens if you have family history of cardiovascular disease? Does that increase it more? And if so, how? Or is it that the studies they're doing are on patients who have predisposition to cardiovascular disease. Like there's a lot of questions that, that we, that we have on that, but you know, research is, it will, will definitely give us the answers I, I'm sure, but a good, a good question to, to think about. I think we covered everything that we wanted to talk about. And, and again, the, the main takeaway here being that science is, is progressing to the point where we are able to have measurements. And these measurements, the next step is to be able to also, for those who choose to use pharmacologic uh, treatments, it can help the development of targeted treatments that address those particular elements of your system. So if you have these seronegative markers, for example, now they can treat to target that. So we might start seeing, well, not might, we will start seeing treatments eventually that if you're diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, it's very possible that it doesn't matter which one. I mean, if it works for seropositive, chances are you're going to be great on seronegative, no different than, again, the spondyloarthritis. It's like, okay, well, it works on radiographic. So theoretically, it'll work on non-radiographic if it's the same disease continuum. But that's really, I think, most promising for so many patients that I know who have went through every biologic. Yes. And I know they're seropositive. I mean, they, they are high markers all the time. And just knowing that there's hope for them, I think it, it probably makes me super happy in itself. But for the takeaway here, we have opened AI Arthritis Voices online community. And it ha- you can see it shares, woohoo! It shares a name with this podcast. The difference with this podcast is this podcast is 360 on the end. And that is because we take the conversation out. Around the world, 360, in the air, through... It was supposed to actually tour, too, but we haven't been able to tour yet for COVID reasons. But <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll work that out when the time comes. So 360 also meant on the road, going around the world. But anyway, the next step is that we invite all people living with these diseases back to the table to continue these conversations, in this case, so that we can create better educational materials for you that are usable to communicate with your doctor, to communicate with your family. We want to work together to do that. So we're inviting you to come to the table and and help us out on that. There's a short application process. Patrice is one of our main administrators, so (laughs) you get to hang out with Patrice. But also, whomever is the co-host or part of the show that we're inviting you back to, we're going to be in those groups talking to you as well. So you'll still, regardless, be able to talk with Patrice and I and continue this conversation. So we invite you to do that. Again, that's AIarthritisvoices.org. And just weird, I know, but there's no www. It's just HTTPS with the with the backslashes. Um, also, we 
thought this would be a great topic to bring to our roomy rounds episodes. Oh yeah. I love those. Yeah. That is a pilot series that we are, well, we're testing out, but we already know it's hugely successful. And the rheumatologist that I've asked, it's just amazing. So this is a, a concept where patients and rheumatology professionals come to the table in these talk shows in order to communicate about important issues that if we are able to give each other sides and each other's opinion, then together we can create solutions. I think this is a great opportunity to talk about biomarkers with rheumatologists and and researchers and ask how we can together create a better communication bridge so patients can ask questions or or doctors can, when they're giving us the lowdown, <laughs> just say, well, you're ACMA positive and that's what this could mean. That kind of thing I think is important. It is. It is. And and I think that's a that's a topic we can throw on the table for for a follow up here with the roomy rounds. But hey, we we're just glad that we're able to give this information to you, so you're privy on the research. We couldn't do it if we didn't attend these types of conferences. But also that we're able to tell you something that we hope will improve your disease journey. Yes, yes. I think that that that's really the the main takeaway here. And then third, that we can together invite you back to the table so that we can develop some materials that you can take with you and also will be applicable to help the millions around the world <laughs> living with our diseases. So I want to thank you, Patrice, for hanging out with me again. You're probably getting tired of me. <laughs> No, thank you so much. You know, it's just a pleasure to be a part of this. And and hopefully that people listening to this gain some information. I know how I have just in the few short months of, of being a volunteer, my world of arthritis has just expanded exponentially. And, and I'm so grateful for that. That's great. I'm glad that you feel that way. And we hope many of you will come and, and join us at the table and to our family and learn, but also grow your own disease journey. We're inviting you. You can go to AIarthritisvoices.org again. You can also learn more about going to ULAR with us. It's only for the next couple of weeks, but hey, if you're listening to this, go ahead and sign up. That's on our website at arthritis.org, right on the homepage. You can, you can see it and you can click and let us know that you want to join. And then while you're on our website, we sure would appreciate any gift in any amount. I like to say, give us a high five or a high 10 because all of that adds up. <laughs> so if you love the show, give us a high 10. Um, and also you can find all of the episodes at our website as well. And anywhere that you listen to podcasts, we ask you to please subscribe and give us a rating. Other than that, please come and join Patrice and me at the table because only together can we change the stories of tomorrow. Thanks, Patrice. Thank you. AI Arthritis Voices 360 is produced by the International Foundation for Autoimmune and Autoinflammatory Arthritis. Find us on the web at www.aiarthritis.org. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and stay up to date on all the latest AI arthritis news and events. 